morning, everyone. Good to see you today. I'm glad you could join us for the beginning of this new summer series. You know, if you go to the produce section of your local market, it looks something like this. You know, all the fruits and vegetables look great. They're on display. They're all lined up. <clears throat> now, we all know that if we decide to buy, particularly a piece of fruit, you really should do a little closer inspection before you buy it. But even if you do that, everybody knows buying fruit is a risk. It's not until you get that fruit home and peel the skin off that you're going to be able to know whether the quality of the fruit is really what you thought it was. Now, we've all peeled a great-looking piece of fruit, only to discover that it's sour on the inside. It's not ripe yet, or it's mealy or dry, or maybe even rotten. And it's the same kind of thing when it comes to relating to people. You know, sitting here this morning, you guys kind of look like the produce section. You look great. You're all lined up. You're in rows. Um, you've, you've got yourself looking good this morning. But this is just how we look on the inside. It's when we get home or we go to work or we help our kids with homework or try to get them into bed at night or we get stuck in traffic. That's when, well, our life is peeled and the real us is exposed. The question that we're going to be considering in this series is this. If your life was like a piece of fruit, would it be sweet or would it be sour? Would it refresh and nourish those who come in contact with you? Or would it leave them kind of cringing on the inside, kind of puckering up because it's a little sour or, or maybe dry? Now, if you get a bad piece of fruit, of course, you can just immediately throw it away and go to the store and hopefully get a better piece. But it's, it's a little more complicated when it comes to people. Uh, you can move in and out of relationships, but it, it, gets, it gets painful to do that a lot. And of course, if you're the sour piece of fruit, well, then you're stuck with you. Now, thankfully, God can turn sour into sweet. And he does this not by waving kind of a magic wand over us and instantly changing us. He does it by growing fruit in us over time to replace the old fruit. And this fruit is called the fruit of the Spirit. We read about this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Here's what it says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now that's an amazing basket of fruit. I would imagine that we would all like to be a little bit more like the things on this list and a little less like, well, who we are. But there's a significant problem when it comes to becoming this kind of person, and it's the last statement in these two verses. It says, against such things, there is no law. What is this talking about? Well, you would be hard-pressed to find a single law on any book about these nine qualities. There, there's no law that lines up against any one of these nine. I mean, everyone agrees, for example, that love, the first one on the list, is a very important quality, but there's no law that says we have to love. There are no fines if we don't love well. And it's the same with joy, with peace, and with patience. They're all desired, but they're not required. Now, we wish there were laws against being a jerk, but goodness, apparently, is not mandatory. It's not in our statute. Now, our state does mandate the removal of plastic straws from restaurants, but not unfaithfulness or rudeness or a lack of self-control from our lives. Why not? I mean, if these nine are so good and so important, 
why can't you find any laws that line up against them? It's because the existence of a law implies the ability to keep that law. You know, if I'm pulled over, say, for speeding, for breaking the speed limit, that law, and I tell the officer, you know, I, I would love to keep the speed limit, but for some reason, I just can't. I, I lack the ability to stay within the limit. Whatever it's posted, I, I just I have, I have to go faster. That would not be a valid excuse. The reason is because, well, in my car, there's a brake, and there's also an accelerator. And I can determine whether I push down on the accelerator or back off in the accelerator or whether I depress the brake or not. I have control over the speed at which my car travels. And therefore, there can be a law about how fast I am supposed to not exceed because I have the ability to do that. But what about peace? I mean, I'd prefer to live with a deep inner sense of calm on the inside all the time. But that's hard to pull off, isn't it? I mean, I don't have a break on the inside that, that I can push and, and slow down and, and stop the anxious thoughts sometimes that run through my mind. I mean, I've often said to my wife something like, I just can't seem to stop worrying about this or, or being upset about that. Laws can only fairly apply to the I won't parts of life, not the I can't parts of life. And even if you were to threaten us with fines and jail time, we'd still find it hard to come up with these qualities, qualities like love and joy and peace and patience. The absence of laws on any of these matters points to the fact that we can't just willpower them into existence. We've all experienced this. If you've maybe been around Seabreeze for a while, maybe you've, you've left here on a particular Sunday all fired up about something that you're going to change in your life. I mean, maybe it's one of these nine. I mean, you're going to love better. You're going to choose peace over worry. Or maybe you're going you're to finally get some self-control in error. You're going to finally get control over a sinful pattern in your life. But then, by the time Monday melts into Tuesday, you've blown it again. You failed. You know, you're back looking at stuff on your phone or your computer that you had said on Sunday you weren't going to look at anymore. You've yelled at your kids again. You and your spouse has, you know, gotten into a fight again. You were rude again to someone at work. And then discouragement begins to set in because this isn't the first time you've really tried to change. And you begin to wonder, maybe there's just something uniquely wrong with me. Maybe I can't change. But the problem isn't usually a lack of effort. It is that sometimes, but that's usually not the main problem. The problem is usually our approach. We often tend to take the law approach to change. The just say no to this or just say yes to that approach. But Jesus makes it very clear that the problem when it comes to change is not the fruit. It's not the external behavior. It's the tree. And so before we begin next week to work our way through these nine pieces of fruit one by one, these nine evidences of change, we're going to first consider this morning the tree science that's required to grow all nine of these. These are the 
three kind of horticultural principles that we're going to look at this morning. First, grafting, and then binding what's been grafted into the tree, and then pruning. First, the grafting. This points to the need to repair our relationship with God. The first and most important step of change is always this. Whether it's a struggle in your marriage, whether it's a struggle with your temper, whether it's a struggle with any other problem in life, this is where change always begins. And if this step is skipped, then any change that you come up with is going to be short-lived. We must first repair our relationship with God before the fruit of the Spirit can begin to grow. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 33, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Jesus would often use the analogy of fruit to describe our external behavior. I mean, that's the part of our life that you can see, just like that's what's most visible on a, on a fruit tree is the fruit. But the fruit comes from the tree. And it's the kind of tree that determines the kind of fruit. Willpower focuses on behavior, the fruit, and not the cause, the tree. So if you had a, let's say you had a diseased tree and you wanted good fruit from that tree, which would be a better approach? Cultivate a healthy tree or go buy a box of fruit and staple that fruit to your sick tree? Well, the stapling approach, of course, would be faster. But all of the effort that you put into first buying that box of fruit and then trying to staple it to the pieces of that tree, all of that effort would be undone the first time a storm blew through. All of that stapled fruit would probably fall to the ground. And this is kind of what we tend to do when it comes to change. We, we try to staple change to our life. We start with one staple, and that doesn't work, and so pretty soon we're like five, six, seven staples. And then a stiff breeze comes up, a challenge comes into our life, and, well, we're just right back the way we were. And that approach prevents us from growing the fruit of God's Spirit that results in genuine change. We lived in Texas uh, back in the 80s, and the house we lived in had three large pecan trees out front, and storms would come through, as they often do in North Texas particularly, and they would, uh, they would break some of the branches in those pecan trees. And at first, after the storm, you would look out and you couldn't tell which branches were broken because a lot of them were still up in the tree. But after a week, you could look up into that tree and you could tell which branches were broken. Because the branches, they always broke at the base where they were attached to the tree. And then over time, because the nutrients from the tree would no longer flow into the branch, so over time, the rest of the branch would slowly die and wither and fall apart. And this is the kind of the same thing that happens with us. The fundamental problem that we all have is at the base of our lives. There has been a break in our relationship with God. Now, you can't see the break by just looking at us. But over time, those broken, kind of like those broken pecan branches, we, we tend to fall apart more and more and more. 
which tends to show up in the bitterness of the fruit that grows out of our broken lives. In fact, just before the list of the nine fruits of the Spirit in the book of Galatians, we find a list of the kind of the sour fruit that tends to grow on broken branches. Here's what we naturally produce. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality. That's, that's a good cue. We're going to dim the lights for this one. This should be a dim thing. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like, which is another way of saying you, you get the idea. Now, you may look at some of these and go, well, I never. But then you look at others and go, well, I kind of all the time struggle with this one or that one. The flesh is the term that's used in the New Testament for the, the life that's left in the branch after it's broken. It's what's natural now to all of us. And it turns the fruit on the branch of our lives sour. So without attachment to the life and the resource of God, this is the kind of stuff that will grow naturally in us. And Jesus came back to to graft us into the good tree, back into his life. Jesus made this very clear in John chapter 15, where he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What he's saying is, I'm the part of the tree that you can connect back into to get the resources of God to begin to flow life into you again. So it turns out that change is not like buying fruit. It's not like a a decision and a small price to be paid. It's it's more like growing fruit. It, It takes time. But the first and most important step is like a branch that's been broken. It needs to be grafted back into the tree from which it broke before the good fruit can begin to grow again. That's the grafting part of tree science, the science of change. The second is binding. This points to the fact that once we're grafted back in, we need to nourish what it is that God desires. Fruit grows because it's nourished from the tree. If, if we block the nourishment, even if we're grafted back in, then the good fruit isn't going to grow. Fruit just takes time to grow. Now, when a branch is grafted onto a tree, it's bound in place with tape. It's called pruning tape. And that's because there are no fibers between the tree and the branch that will hold the branch in place. You can't just take a branch, a broken branch, and just, it's, it's not going to stay. It has to be bound to the tree. The, the fibers that grow, they take time to form. This is why Jesus said, we have to remain in him, he says. And remaining is not just a passive word. It's not just sitting down and waiting. It's, it's the ongoing effort that's required to stay connected to Jesus Christ. When a branch is grafted onto a tree, fibers begin to grow between the tree and the new branch within the very first week that it's attached. But these fibers, it turns out, are in no way strong enough to support the weight of the branch. In fact, the branch will always be weakest at the point of attachment because of the weight and the existence of the old fibers. Old fibers don't reattach. New fibers do, but the old ones stay there. 
And it's really the same when it comes to our commitment to Jesus Christ. The point of attachment, of commitment to him, will always be weak. It will always require ongoing effort for the very same reason. The old fibers that support our old way of life don't just go away. They are kind of like a weight that keeps threatening that attachment. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into play, which is why these qualities are called the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is is the actual presence of God that takes residence in the life of those who have decided to attach their lives to Jesus Christ. He is the one that, that brings the resources of God to us. He's the conduit of those resources and helps grow the fibers that allow the power of God to flow into us and to begin to change us from sour to sweet. Now, we have a role in this. Again, this is not passive. We, we have to stay attached over time. A few verses earlier before the list of the fruit of the Spirit, we read this in Galatians 5, 16 through 17, talking about what happens when the Holy Spirit enters into a life. It says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, get up and, and move along with the Spirit. Don't just sit there. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. What this is saying is the Holy Spirit, when he arrives, he arrives with a a new set of desires. In fact, notice the two desire words that are listed in these verses. There are the desires of our flesh, and then the new desires of the Holy Spirit. The problem is that our flesh... Its desires are contrary to what God desires. It's it's kind of like, the best way to describe this, I think, it's kind of like what happens when a a new baby arrives into a family. When a new baby is born, it doesn't take long before you realize that this new life, the presence of this new life, came and comes with its own set of desires. The problem is, you still have your own set of desires. And so in the middle of the night, when that little one is hungry, it desires to feed, that's not in line with your desires to sleep. And so you have immediately a conflict, a desire war. What happens? Well, every new parent knows this one, and all of us who've been new parents remember this one. It says they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. Isn't that a great description of being a parent? You do not do whatever you want. I mean, when I was single, I could kind of do whatever I wanted. Before my wife and I had kids, we could, for the most part, do whatever we wanted. Once we had kids, we hardly ever got to do whatever we wanted. Why? Because the arrival of this new life represents a new set of desires. So a baby, a new life, decreases the do-whatever-you-want portion of your life. Your life now is influenced by what this new life wants. And that's a great description of what it means to have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is a new life, brings new life, and with it a new set of desires to compete with the old desires. Now the old desires of the flesh, they don't just give up without a fight and go away. 
Oh, no, they, there is an internal conflict. So what I would say, if, if you don't have any kids, if you want to live your life the way you want to, don't have children. I'm not recommending that, but I'm saying if, if you are intent of just, I, I want to do whatever I want in life, then, then please don't have children because you're not going to be able to do whatever you want. Children are a blessing and a joy, but they definitely don't let you do whatever you want in life. And I would say in the same way, that if, if you want to keep doing life the old way, then do not make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Because with that decision comes the Holy Spirit, and he'll take residence up in your heart, and he will start a desire war. Again, I'm not recommending that you don't decide to follow Jesus Christ. I'm just making sure you're clear on what happens. It's kind of like the decision to have a child. If you want your life to stay the same, don't have a kid. If, if you want your life to stay the same, don't, don't decide to follow Jesus Christ. Don't graft your life into Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit comes with that. You know, when you used to do things that displeased God, you, you might have felt a little bad before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. But over time, you recovered and the guilt disappeared. Now, if the Holy Spirit's inside of you, boy, the conviction just will not go away. Because the Holy Spirit on the inside is pulling in a very different direction now. It's also true on the other side. You know, before, doing good things, well, that, that felt good. But let me tell you, never felt near as good as it does now when you do what God please, what pleases God. The Holy Spirit on the inside is throwing a party. When a new, when a new life arrives into the, to a home, when a new baby is born, what's the biggest thing that changes? The schedule, right? That's the biggest change. I mean, immediately, no sleep or very little sleep. Immediately, it's an announcement. A new set of desires has arrived. The life you knew is over. This is a great life, but it's a very different life. So the schedule changes. Why? Well, because this new life needs to be fed more than just once a month. More even than just once a week. I mean, all the time, it seems like at first. And it's kind of the same thing with the Holy Spirit. This is why we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, it says, just like newborn babies... What you need to do is you need to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you'll grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. What this is saying is Jesus didn't die on the cross so that the Holy Spirit could come and take residence inside your life just so you could get a little taste of how good God is. No. His purpose is to change you, to grow you, to mature you, and that won't happen if you don't eat. Eat what? The main thing that nourishes the new life are God's words out of the Bible. That's what it's talking about here. It's the pure spiritual milk. And there's also some solid food in there. The idea is we, we need to take what God has said and digest that and turn that into action. Now, that takes time. But that's a regular process of nourishing what it is that God desires. If over and over again we say, you know what, I just want to do life my way. Even if the Holy Spirit's in us, he doesn't force his way. But then there's no fruit. 
that grows. And over time, we're, well, we're kind of the same as we used to be. And that brings us to the last tree science principle, and that is pruning. This points to the need that if we're going to grow the fruit of the Spirit, we have to remove the distractions. John 15, 1 through 2, Jesus, again, talking about being the vine and us the branches, he starts out by saying, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, in the Bible, God presents himself as one being. There is one God, but within that one being, there are three distinct persons. They are known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The term we often use to describe this is Trinity, three in one, tri-unity. And when it comes to growing the fruit of change in us, the fruit of the Spirit, that's one of the places, there are others, but it's one of the places where you get a real clear picture of how the three persons of the one God work together to accomplish this. Jesus, who is the Son, he's the one that extends the vine that repairs the break between us and God. He is the point of connection, the repair. The Holy Spirit is the one that provides the life from God that grows change in us. He's the one that grows those fibers and and allows, if we will cooperate with his desires, the resources of God to flow into our life. That's why these changes are called the fruit of the Spirit. But Jesus points out the role of the Father in this, and he is the gardener. The idea is he's the one that superintends and, and oversees the entire process of change. And one of his major roles in this process is to prune, to prune our lives. Now, the purpose of pruning, whether it's for change or whether it's for fruit on a tree, the purpose of pruning is to cut off the unnecessary parts so that more nutrients can flow to the fruit. Now, what needs to be cut off is not necessarily something evil. It, it might be. But oftentimes, a lot of the things that need to be pruned, it's, it's just things that are taking time and focus away from the growing of change, the growing of fruit. See, we can get pretty attached to some pretty unfruitful endeavors. So if we refuse to prune our own lives, the Father will often send something into our life that will prune us. In my experience, that something is rarely pleasant. It's kind of often a storm. And so I highly recommend self-pruning. It's, it's much less painful. You can trust, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, the Father will cut some things from your life. But it's, if you can see that and self-prune, that's preferable. So the question is this, then how do you know if something needs to be pruned from your life? This is also helpful if the Father has cut something from your life and you're mad or you're grieving over it. It's helpful to understand the why behind why that was cut. There are three principles when it comes to pruning. I learned this from my brother-in-law just a few months ago. My sister and brother-in-law, they live on his family orchard, apple orchard, in, uh, in Canada, in British Columbia. It's the orchard that he grew up on. And just a few months ago, we were talking and He told me uh, that he overheard the orchard manager training his new workers in the art of pruning. 
And he heard this manager tell them that pruning can be summarized by these three words. These are the three, openness, direction, and leadership. And my brother-in-law, Bruce, said, I'd never heard anyone say that before related to pruning. So I was interested. So he said, I, I kind of tagged along as he went through our apple orchard and trained these new guys in the art of pruning. So here are the three lessons that applies, whether it's an apple orchard or whether it's the branch of our own lives to grow the fruit of the Spirit. First is openness. This points to the need to declutter your life. What the manager of the orchard said is there needs to be enough light to get through in order to grow fruit. Access to the sun is a real key to growing fruit, especially fruit that's sweet. So if a branch is blocking light or it's producing more foliage than fruit, the orchard manager told his guys, it's got to go. That opens up. That's the openness. It opens up the entire tree so that more light can get through and produce more fruit. And as I thought about this, I thought, that, that's, I've experienced that in my life. We often develop branches or leaves of our lives that, well, it's, it's, it's a leaf. It's not fruit. And leaves are important, but you can get more foliage than fruit. And we end up putting time and resources away from what will produce fruit in us. So in order to grow, we have to just continually cut and remove the clutter from our life. Now, the things that are wrong or not good, that's pretty easy to identify. Yeah, I need to cut that. The harder thing that I found is the other stuff that's not necessarily wrong. It's, it's just making my week crazy to the point where I'm not really focusing on, I don't even know what the Spirit desires in the situation because I'm just going from thing to thing to thing. This, this takes a lot of thought and continual effort to think, okay, am I producing fruit here, or is this, is this a leaf or a section of the branch can, that, that can go to kind of open my life up? And it just goes over and over again, just like a tree. We just keep getting cluttered. That's the first principle. The second principle is direction. This requires us to realign our patterns, realign our patterns. Branches, the manager said, that support fruit, they all grow at the same angle relative to the trunk. Now, I never knew this. In order to support the weight of fruit, that branch that's got the fruit hanging out, it needs to be at a correct angle related to the branch itself. So if a branch, he said, if you see a branch going in a different direction, it may bud and it may flower and fruit may begin to grow on it, but as soon as that fruit gets to be any size at all, because the angle of that branch is, is not correct, that branch cannot support the weight of that fruit and it'll, it'll break long before the fruit is ripe and sweet. This is really similar to what I've seen in our lives too. Whether the fruit is an apple on a tree or a changed life, it needs to be supported. We often miss this. We, we reattach our lives maybe to Jesus, and may, maybe we begin to take the truth of God's word, and we nourish our, our lives with that, and we begin to turn that into action. But we don't really get into the patterns of our week. 
we don't really maybe connect with a church and with other people are going to help support that growth. And so the bud forms and the flower forms and fruit begins to grow, but it never really gets very far because, well, it's not at a supporting angle. For example, if, if you're trying to grow the fruit of peace, but you rarely gather in church to worship the Prince of Peace, well, then your peace is just it's going to be limited. The peace will grow, and, and then it will fall to the ground because it was unsupported. Or maybe let's say you're trying to grow the fruit of love, but you don't get around people who model it, who... When they do wrong to you, they ask for your forgiveness, which is a key to really loving people, because none of us do this perfectly. Then you're just, you're going to be limited. You're going to make some movement, but you're going to be limited in how far you can get in the growing of genuine love in your life. So if we're going to grow this fruit, we need to realign the angle of our patterns to support this growth. And as we look through each of the fruits of the Spirit, we're going to be talking about how to nourish these particular fruits, and how to support these particular fruits. But it, it isn't just you all by yourself and the Holy Spirit. That There's a whole support structure that goes with the growing of this fruit. And that brings us to the, the third word, which is leadership. When it comes to the fruit of change, this speaks to the need to seek God first. The fruit of the Spirit grows when God is number one. When something else is number one, the growth stops. The manager of the orchard told his guys that a tree produces, is continually producing more branches at the top. He says what happens is that a new branch will grow and it will vie for leadership of the tree. And what a pruner has to do is a pruner has to look at the one or two or the three branches at the very top of the fruit tree that's, that's heading straight up. And it has to decide which one will stay in leadership. Because whichever one you choose, that's going to be the trunk of the future. But just because the trunk is in place doesn't mean a new branch isn't going to grow up and vie for leadership. So he says, as soon as you see a new branch growing and vying for leadership, that branch needs to go. It needs to be cut. And you can already see where this is going. It's the same with us. We, we decide to follow Jesus Christ, and as Jesus said, you, you need to seek me first. I, I need to, I'm, I'm not just an add-on to life. I'm not just a supplement to life. I'm, I belong at the very center of your life. And so we make that decision, and we begin to grow. But then something else begins to grow in our life that, that vies for leadership, and it becomes the number one thing. Maybe we fall in love with someone, which is a great thing, but that becomes our number one. And God becomes our number two or our number three. And we stop growing. Or maybe we get a, a job offer for more money, which is great. But it requires us to move away, which is not necessarily bad. But all of the support structures we put in place will have to go. And it takes time to build those. And that sets us on a path where, you know, money becomes our number one. That's really at the center around which we make our decisions. And so we, we just don't grow. Or we develop a hobby. Hobbies are great. But this particular hobby just ends up taking up most of our weekends and most of our free time. 
leaving very little time left to support the growth that God wants to bring in our lives. Now, in my experience, and I'm sure it's true with you, there is always something, and usually, usually several things, competing for the top spot in our hearts. As the master pruner told my brother-in-law, there's always something vying for leadership at the top of the tree. And that's true with us. And if we're not diligent over time to cut off those competing branches, the flavor of our unpeeled life will be about the same as it was back when we were grafted. The fruit of the Spirit grows when God is our number one. Now, I can't wait to dive into this amazing basket of fruit. But before we pick up each amazing piece of fruit and examine it and consider how it grows, we need to first understand how these qualities grow in our lives. This is the foundation of these other nine. Grafting. We first must repair our relationship with God. The fruit of the Spirit cannot grow if we haven't connected our lives to Jesus Christ. Binding. We need to nourish what God desires. We need to turn God's words into action. And then pruning. We have to remove the distractions. Let's pray. Father, you know us. Our life is unpeeled before you. You know us better than we know us. And as we consider these verses and what they mean, I know that for most in this room, you tapped your finger of conviction on something. You said on the inside, yep, that's where you're stuck. That's what you need to work on. So, Father, you're the master gardener. I pray that you would help us to take action on that. We know that you will eventually do some cutting. But help us to listen in advance of the knife that cuts. We really want to have love and joy and peace and all of these others in our life. pray that you'd, you'd grow these in us as we cooperate with you. We pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.